Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. So welcome back. How do you feel today? <laughs> yeah, well, it was a big week last week. And we missed you on the intro last week, just purely because I couldn't find anywhere quiet to yeah. Uh, yeah, no sit worries. down and record an intro with you. So um, we had Daryl and Yina on um, without your wonderful intro with me. So how did it feel being remote and not being there? Did you get FOMO? I had about a minute and a half of what's going on, um, but then I got over it. <laughs> <laughs> In the show notes, we'll, we have a link to the Book of News, which is an 87-page PDF that Microsoft put out about what was announced. You had all the cliff notes. Uh, exa- well, more importantly, I have the search terms, right? So I can go to Bing now and find <laughs> out, search for this and find out what's going on there. So I wasn't aware they did that, but I opened it up this morning and it's actually really useful. Like it, Everything's got deep links to exactly what you need. And I mean, I'm assuming if you just watched all 1,000 breakout sessions, it'd be in good shape, but that's going to take <laughs> a fair amount of time. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I first saw this, the Azure team put this out um, for build a couple years ago. And I remember being at the MVP summit with Dan Holm and I pulled this up on my phone. I said, this, <laughs> we need this. And he's like, oh, I'm going to go talk to people about this. And so now, now a couple years later, it uh, it's come out and uh, it's awesome. A great recap. But so instead of watching Ignite, You'll never guess what I did last week. I actually... Mm, what did you do? I, I opened Visual Studio Code, and I cloned a repo for a Visual Studio Code extension written in Node and submitted a PR. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I was writing TypeScript, and oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Had you done any TypeScript work before? I'm guessing you have done with SPFX. Uh, yes. Yeah, but that, that's... Which is really just using custom objects, right? Or SPFX API, mm-hmm. right? But as opposed yeah. to looking at how a Visual Studio code extension was written and using native node.js libraries, kind of like what you would do in the .NET framework back in the day. So yeah, it was interesting. So the, the Azure Cosmos DB extension is great, except we have colons in our document IDs for business reasons, and that's the invalid character on the Windows file system. So I couldn't open the document uh. using that extension. So <laughs> it's not like I did a lot of rewriting, but hey, so, but yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm up to my elbows in TypeScript and Node.js. And how do you find Azure Cosmos DB? Because I'm assuming you're a little bit like me where you've been so comfortable with SQL databases your entire career that this is a bit different. The I like it. I don't pay the bill, so uh, <laughs> obviously that's one part of it. But but it it's really yeah. In our scenarios where we're not trying to operate on a a collection of data, it's real or a collection of rows, right? It's really when when writing a bot or or dealing with with some of the stuff that we're doing, it really is information about you or that you've created. So all I really need is the document about you. So I don't need to. I don't need to read a million rows or summarize data. I just need a bit of data. So it works out pretty well. And at the end of the day, it's just uh, uh, we got a business layer code wrapped around it, right? What I don't like is if it's not found, it throws a, a, a 404, which every HTTP client in the world throws as an exception. But I've given that feedback to them as well. But anyways, so yeah, all in all, not too bad. No, not That's too bad. cool. 
So did you submit the PR? I did, and of course they they initially said, can I fix the conflicts? I'm like, what are you talking about? Turns out that they don't like tabs. And so the file that I changed got reformatted because no one put an editor config file in the repo. So Oh, so it was spaces, not tabs. No, I use tabs, and I set my tab stop to two so that I don't have code you know, 18 miles wide on my monitor. But apparently I'm a min- yeah. in the minority in that, that context. But, <laughs> but that's what editor config is for. So, hey, hey, people, put an editor config file in your repo so that when right. my Visual Studio opens it, it'll save it the way that you want. Yeah, anyways. So, that, yeah, that was the first part of my week there. Yeah, so... I uh, I actually took Monday off. I just felt like I needed it. And so I just, you know, took it off. I slept most of the day, actually, um, which I feel way more refreshed now. I was definitely drained after Ignite and obviously all the weeks running up to Ignite. But um, no, it was digging out of email all this week. There was a lot oh, of conversations at Ignite that were like, shoot me an email and I'll help you out. And so this week has basically been either responding to people with the correct information or introducing them internally to the correct people. And so it's been super valuable because a lot of this feedback really helps our engineering teams if they have like real world scenarios of what is working or what isn't working. Um, a lot of it though, I must admit, I've asked in some cases, hey, look, it'd be easier if you can just go submit this on user voice or ask this on stack because it scales a lot better than relying on us as an email triage system um especially now that we have systems in place to kind of round robin um assign stack questions and we're just about to release the feature that sends emails once a week and nags people if they're not getting to them (laughs) um so i'm hoping that those kind of things will help to kind of get the response rate up even higher but even in the two months we've released it that tool we have reduced the time to respond like significantly which is great so yeah i just I know people get frustrated. Well, I want to email you. And it's like, yeah, but you know, we can't just have one or two people in Microsoft graph. There's 50 engineering teams on graph now. And so, you know, putting things in the right places is, is the best way to interact with us. Um, I always, you know, we had a pre day on the Sunday and I was joking with Vesa because I know Vesa tweets a lot about like, don't send me emails. And he's been doing that for years. And I've kind of looked at how he's, mirrored or done his work in the SharePoint world and like yeah I do not want to become Vesser of the Microsoft Graph world because it just doesn't doesn't work out well um in terms of being able to manage your time I guess. And so putting the systems in place rather than me being I think he even put it on the uh, Teams channel yesterday was uh what did he call it? Something like the the pigeon carrier for the graph or something like that. It was something <laughs> kind of smart. <laughs> And I was like, well, hang on a minute. There's more than just me answering questions on the graph, but I do tend to be the one that is willing to respond to an email and people grab that and uh, or, contact or, me. Or at least route the request to the appropriate person, which some yeah. 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 And so, you know, user voice for feature requests, stack overflow for questions, issues, go to portal.azure.com, especially now we have the Microsoft graph up there. That's the best way to kind of do this. You know, a lot of product groups are going that way as well, like because they just realize that, People move off teams and suddenly that great contact you had goes away and 
you know, partners lose momentum and so forth. Yeah, there was a, a stack question I was going to answer. And the answer basically was, well, Graph doesn't do that. And, you know, but then I'm thinking, well, I'm just some dude and I don't want to sound snarky. That really should be someone at Microsoft. And as I was looking at the question, it said a new answer was provided. It was Daryl Miller replying an answer. So uh, I saw Daryl going through and uh, knocking out a bunch of questions. So, yeah, yeah. Daryl's a good, good one. Yeah, but his answer was certainly more thought out than mine would have been, (laughs) and it was great. So, so yeah, uh, go stack, tag it with the right uh, tag, and uh, things get get answered. So that's a that's a great way to get the feedback. So I know you had other links that you wanted to do in the intro of last week's show with Ignite, but what were some of the things that you think were major call-outs? And I can see your notes here. So like, what, what were the ones that you thought were cool? Yeah, so first, obviously, I mentioned the book of news. The next thing is there was kind of an all-up blog post on the dev blogs, which is all things developer tools at Microsoft Ignite, uh, talking initially about the new hosted Visual Studio code, Visual Studio Online. I can't remember the name of it, but the idea, of course, is that rather than create a VM, I can just have a hosted service to do that. Yeah, and it's so, really cool. Yeah, I've seen some chatter about the the pricing. Is if you turn it, you know, if you use it for forty hours in a week, it's going to cost you over a hundred dollars. So I'm sure that that pricing will be. Uh, uh, adjusted as, as usage goes through. But uh, I think the, the response has generally been, well, we don't expect you to sit and use this 40 hours. We expect you to f- fire this up and do something and then you know shut it down. So looking forward to kicking the tires on that. Uh, the next link I found is, oh, this reminds me here. So the, we have a link here called Delivering Increased Productivity for Bot Development and Deployment. And this is written by Lily Chen, who you've mentioned on the blog quite a bit. And I think in our new campaign to have a CVP on the podcast yeah. every three months or so, you should probably go find another one. And so Lily might be a good candidate. <laughs> you know, so just walk Lily, up to executives and say, hey. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Lily reports to Perry Clark, who's my CVP. And so um, she is definitely in our building a lot more. And actually, I've been in a bunch of meetings with her recently. And it's another one of those ones where you just sit there and listen. And whatever she says is gold um, because, you know, she's been in this industry for a long time, seen a lot and has so much experience. And so when conversations are happening around, you know, decisions or direction, um, Lily is just really good at kind of just like really in, in very few words, being able to just like get to a resolution for the team, which is, it's great to have people like that in meetings. Um, so yes, I will definitely go find her and ask her if she'll be on the show. Um, and, and that kind of ties in a couple things, right? So you interviewed Darren Jefford a couple episodes back around the virtual assistant. And so this is really talking a little bit, this, this blog post from Lily is talking a little bit about the updates to the SDK and and that. And that kind of ties into next week's show where I interviewed Gary Pretty, who's a former MVP who's now in the bot framework SDK team. And we go into detail uh, we geek out, right, talking about bots and the new SDK stuff. So that certainly is a nice uh, uh, positional blog post, if you will, kind of understand the landscape, if you will. Uh, obviously, a CVP writing a blog post is not going to be loaded with uh, with angle brackets or, or semicolons or cur- curly braces, but it certainly is a nice little uh, um, roadmap, if you will. So that was a, gr- a great blog I saw on her on, from her on that. Yeah, the, the, the visual bot builder thing is pretty interesting as well. I think that kind of got a lot of traction at the event. We I spoke to a bunch of the folks on that team and um, it's definitely it, that's called a neat Composer. thing they've built. 
Yeah. Yeah. Composer. And Gary talks quite a bit about that. We probably spend 15 minutes on that next week. So stay tuned, folks, for more information on that. Listen to next week's episode. (laughs) Look at me. I'm just like a TV executive here. Um, (laughs) the, The last link I threw in here is the blog post about the fluid framework. And so, um, this was announced at Build, I believe, and now they. I didn't look at the sessions yet because we mentioned uh, I was in Redmond a couple weeks back, and that was a dev kitchen for the Fluid Framework, and so I didn't really watch episodes because I've seen it and kicked the tires on it. So it's a, but a new way of working, if you will. So, um, have you had a chance to to see what's happening with Fluid? Yeah. So the, they kind of really announced two things. They announced that there's a public preview of Fluid Framework and user experiences, which is essentially what they demoed in the keynote was having a table that's in a Word document, grabbing that table and moving it into an email and sending it to if I email. And then people being able to edit the table, which then reflects the change in the Word document or putting that table in a Teams conversation and then having that you know change in Teams show up in, in Word and Outlook. So essentially it's like multi-co-authoring uh, in various different hosts. And in this case, it was Teams, Outlook. Um, and, you know, they're going to do it in SharePoint and in OneNote notes and other office documents. And so that public preview, you can go, well, you actually can't yet. If you go there, it'll basically tell you to be patient and wait. Um, but then the other thing that they're doing is a private preview for developers, which is to actually build the Fluid framework components. Um, so the example they use was a table they want developers to go build other components other than tables. Um, I'm really intrigued to see how much of a third-party story there is here. Um, this has been a project that's been going on for a long, long time at Microsoft internally, and it's great to see the light of day. I think there's a huge story to tell um, in terms of these components that we will build as Microsoft and having those um in all the different hosts. And it'd be interesting to see how third-party partners can make this relevant to their solutions as well. Um, And I think it'll be very specific to verticals is my gut feel. Like I can see like legal companies going crazy for certain types of components that, you know, a lawyer could fill out co-authoring in a team's conversation and drop into a, a legal document, for instance. So it's it's very cool tech. Y- yes, and and so I chatted quite a bit with Peter. Uh, it was one of the PMs on this project. Who I uh, we should probably chase down. Uh, I'll yeah, absolutely. Him, you know? Yeah, and uh, but um, you know, for most users of the world of the Fluid Framework, they're going to be in Outlook, Teams, Word, Excel, and I can't really do much with the editing surface in that, you know, in the, in the way that they envision. So I think it's incumbent. I told them, you know, you guys, you guys make it work in all the office things where people live and us, us ISVs or their developers can then augment what they're doing. And yeah, there's a couple of product ideas we're already kicking around. So, uh, uh, looking forward to the, to get into that developer preview. So, uh, it's certainly worth watching. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very cool tech. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. And so uh, at that dev kitchen, uh, I sat down with Alex Terentiev, and he's our guest this week. And and Alex is a, a SharePoint guy, and he what, what caught my attention back uh, in June, he had a blog post about using React templates with the SPFX library components. So uh, for just a recap, uh, a while back, a couple of releases ago, I guess uh, the SharePoint framework allows you to write a 
a set of JavaScript that gets bundled as a library, like a DLL for us C-sharp folks. And then I, I can call it from multiple things. And he has a way to talk about using templates, which is kind of like data binding stuff, which is really kind of interesting. So I, I grabbed him and took the opportunity to educate myself a little bit about React and uh, <laughs> and the best ways to do things and to talk about this. So uh, we'll put a, a link to his blog post in the show notes as well. And uh, um, certainly is, it was great to get you know another developer sitting there talking about how they how they do things ways that they solve problems and and uh i really really enjoyed our talk awesome well thanks for doing that mate and uh we'll see you next week and we'll hear about gary pretty and the pod framework sounds great So today, I am visiting with Alex Torrentiev. Welcome, Alex. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me. Will you introduce yourself a little bit for our audience? My name is Alex Torrentiev. I am Office Development MVP. I'm a custom solutions architect and lead developer in uh, SharePoint, at least, uh, located in Los Angeles. You probably know me from like PNP initiative, so I do some stuff for PNP as well. And I'm passionate about the development. <laughs> <laughs> I love passionate developers. Right? First, first things first, though. So we're recording this at the dev kitchen that Microsoft had. And uh, your demo I thought was great because you, they gave us a little flick button. Is that what they call it, right? A flick yep. button. Yep. And you had VESA press the button. And the computer said, what? <laughs> well, VESA is on fire. <laughs> <laughs> it brought down the house, yeah. So, uh, so it's great, and, and that, that kind of creativity is great to see. Um, and now, obviously, we're we're talking uh, SPFX web or web parts and components and so on like that. So, and I know that you what caught my eye a couple of months back is you had a blog post series of talking about React templates yep. in SPFX. Me being somewhat t stupid when it comes to React, can you tell me what does that really mean to have templates in in React? So basically. Uh, when I was thinking about like using any kind of templates in my in my application, I always wanted to have, uh, let's say, external event handlers, this kind of stuff, and uh, do all the templates in React. So and it's kind of difficult part and difficult stuff. So uh, what I'm came up with uh, that you can actually do a whole React stuff, uh, all the components, and build them as a new. SPFX feature called uh, library component. Then you can dynamically load it to your application and use all the React components from this component because it's still SPFX, right? Which is really cool. And you have all the type checking stuff, you have all the properties, state that React provides you as well. And if you compare it to like static HTML uh, templates or even handlebar.js, it's more powerful, right? Because you can nest one in another, you can actually handle all the events that are going from this particular template from your parent let's say or something like that so it's it's really cool stuff and uh, yeah in the blog I have a lot of information how to implement that why it is possible from react side of things and from SPFX side of things okay as well. so I want, I want to dig into that just a little bit more so again I'm, I'm a longtime ASP.NET guy not not JavaScript right so to me handle 
bars, I view to more like the, the data binding controls where I would just Correct. have output only, right? And so yes. is that what you mean by a template is I have a defined type of output and I just put data there and it merges together, right? Yeah, but like React is an alternative because it's not so static. So basically you can handle all the events from these templates as well. Yeah, right, so using handlebars, I render HTML, but that's it, right? Yes. And the yes. handlebars doesn't help me deal with the HTML once it's generated. Yep. Okay, I, that part I got. Now, the other thing that sounds a lot familiar to someone like myself is that uh, we would build user controls back in the day when just assemble our, our output by building these together. Right? Yeah. And React is a similar model, yes? Yes. So are, yes. You, are you combining these two theories together? Is that a fair enough statement to say? Uh, well, trying? yes, I would say so, yes. So basically, yeah, you can combine all the components. Some of them may can be templates because they are still components. Uh, some of them may be just your regular main components, root components, whatever you call it. Uh, yeah, so basically they, they are combined in, the, in this yeah, case. Yeah, that, that's pretty slick stuff. I kind of like that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about the library components yeah. now that's doing it. It's recent, somewhat recent, if I remember correctly, right, in yes. SPFX, right? And so have you done those at a large scale? Is it, are we replicating DLL hell that we used to have back in the... Yeah, so basically yeah. it's kind of DLL, <laughs> I would say, yes, yeah. the same idea here. And uh, if you think from front-end world scenarios, you, well, it's like an alternative to storing stuff on CDN or something. It's just another way to do that, right? Uh, but still, yeah, you can think of that like DLLs, and you can dynamically load them to your uh, environment if you need to your project and uh, get dynamically again with, uh, let's say, reflection, uh, all the stuff <laughs> from there. So yeah, kind of yeah. similar. <laughs> and, and so would you use those for more of uh, common routines or functions that you need, or would you put React components in the library? Well, uh, it depends, actually. You can do both because, yeah, it's, it's good, especially for um, enterprise organizations, let's say, if they have some uh, routines that are like common for many line of business applications, they can do definitely they can do that in library components. Uh, from other side, if you have like uh, some product, let's say, and some APIs and you want to allow your customers to develop the, their own UIs, let's say, you can use library components and templates, React templates inside library components for that. So they can develop their UI, load it dynamically into your application using a component ID from SPFX and they're good to uh, go. Okay, it, it is another good example, like if I have a, an API, or service with an API signature provide TypeScript things in a library component? Is that a valid yeah, thing? Yeah, 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 it can be like a wrapper around your services, yes. It's a good okay. use right. case as well. And have you used a lot of these? Have, have you had success? Uh, I'm, I mostly used it for uh, UI part because uh, one of our products is basically we are thinking about like how we can tweak things based on like different customers and different surfaces. So that's why actually I, I got the idea about React template and all this stuff using library components. Uh, we talked a lot about you know, SharePoint things. Is that most of what you're working on these days is building SharePoint user interfaces? Not exactly SharePoint because like SPFX is now in Teams as well and uh, so we are building interfaces for Teams as well and uh, I'm still working on backend parts too. So different like uh, connections between different applications. Currently we're also working on some uh, bot stuff for Teams as well. It's again uh, backend ASP.NET core. So yeah different stuff. Yeah, yeah. So have you uh, played with the new bot framework before? 
four 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 point five, I think is what it is. Have you seen the? Yep. Yeah. What, what's your impressions on on that? Because I, 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 I at add in three six five, we have a bot as well, and I we, we, we went down the one path in the version three, and it was written a certain way, and now the new one came out, and they've gone a different way with the handlers and I, controllers. I, have you I'm seen a, that? I'm a kind of lucky because I didn't use version three, oh, okay. so <laughs> I started with version four, so I can't compare this tool, but uh, I like what they're doing, and if you're aware, they're right now in preview they have uh, declarative dialogues so basically when you can use uh, JSON stuff and based on this JSON they will generate a dialogue for you with uh, even I believe uh, loops uh, if conditions yeah. this kind of stuff so I like where they're going yeah and then for listeners who aren't familiar that's not a dialogue that you would see in a user interface that's more of the uh, a conversation dialogue yeah, with yeah, the bot bo yeah. bo entity dialogue yeah <laughs> so yes uh, that's yeah I, I agree that's, that's quite interesting and and then you mentioned now uh, using teams you know this comes up quite quite a lot where people say well I can write a component using SPFX and put it in SharePoint and put it in teams do you see a lot of the same thing running in both contexts not actually to be honest I saw few of them that really can live both in SharePoint and Teams, and they make sense both in SharePoint and Teams. But usually, it's either or right now. Right. Yeah. Then, it, but as a developer, it seems to me that it doesn't matter where it's being hosted. I could use the same tool set. Yes, right. that, that's correct. It mostly depends on like, do you really want inside your code to have like all the if conditions to check if you are in Teams in SharePoint or just develop it for Teams only and for SharePoint it will be like throw an exception or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that. Um, and, and now, so you, you, the other thing I want I want to dive into because I think I found a kindred spirit, right? The the SPFX is all. TypeScript and all kinds of eight million different libraries, but the bot, obviously, you said is is, is .NET. So for me, for it you, can uh, be no where, where did you, oh you've, so you, uh, that was my question, right? Is do you find switching libraries uh, uh, troublesome, or do you just stick with Node because you're familiar with TypeScript? Or what's no, your I, I, on I, that? I stick with C Sharp to be honest, because <laughs> I have like huge background of C Sharp as well, and uh, I, I got used to it. I like ASP.NET Core and uh, .NET Core in common. So uh, yeah, I just got used to write JavaScript or TypeScript code for for front end and. C sharp for backend. For back, yes. Um, I think that that's a somewhat common example, and, and it, it seems a shame to me that with the release of Blazor, have you seen the new Blazor front yeah. end? For that, it would have been nice if we could have used that for for SharePointy things, but but we we, <laughs> we digress. And and so if you can give me an example, right? Obviously, um, are there any other types of, of projects that you've done that are somewhat interesting that you think well, it's a great problem to solve, or, or and how does how does it fit within the SharePoint React? the world? Well, so from the last ones that we are working for, uh, well, the one we have, it's called SP Hub. It's basically uh, based on search and taxonomy. And it's cool for me, like a developer, and who knows about like uh, term store, all this stuff inside SharePoint. So basically what we are doing, we are aggregating uh, information like documents, events across uh, SharePoint sites, and we can display this information uh, based on uh, taxonomy hierarchy, based on these groups and some additional configuration. I like this that stuff, and it's a, it was a challenge to do all that like a developer, but from customer's perspective, I see that not many customers really use TermStore at all, 
and yeah, it's kind of difficult to uh, explain them why they should use <laughs> term store and after that go to the project. So it's kind of <laughs> a little bot bottleneck. <laughs> um, so I used to work with a gentleman who, who said that the, the demise of a taxonomy is all the fault of Google because users are now so just a box and a button. They can find whatever they want. They don't have to organize it. Yeah, right? yes. I, yeah, I can certainly see that. But now, do you see, you see the, the, the term store and that obviously SharePoint has had that and it's been a little deprecated, right? And so, but inevitably, do you find the term store being used to find documents or is it really navigation or is it still the traditional both cases that you see or? Uh, I see a lot for uh, search to be honest and uh, we had customers they had their own like uh, database and some rules and based on that rules they applied some uh, terms for the new uploaded documents and they they were able to find them really quickly based on like tagging stuff uh, yeah I see that uh, a lot. Uh, for navigation, not so much, uh, but still navigation based on metadata is good, but it's, I believe, not available in uh, modern SharePoint, yeah. so it's useful. Yeah. Not useless, sorry, right <laughs> yeah. now. So. Yeah, right. The more things change, the more they, they can stay the same. Thinking longer term, right? So the, I, I want to kind of get back to when we're, we're building these UI components and, and they run in a certain host. Do you, do you find uh, that you're right? Some that are outside of Office 365 at all, or is it really mostly just uh, in the inside the suite that you're that you're working? We are working inside Office 365 uh, suite yeah. or Microsoft 365 suite, especially right. for uh, UI. So we have some projects, backend projects with uh, different stuff, like with the custom systems as well for big organizations, but about the UI components is mostly inside. It's either encouraging the customers or finding projects in which they, they the system, integrating backend systems with, yes. with what they're used to. Yeah, and you find that, uh, does that seem a lot of work or have you got to the point now where you understand the problems and the warts and you can help bring the, the well, better? Well, to me it actually depends on the uh, rules, how, how the customer can uh, tell you the rules, how they want to connect Two systems, it's one part. The second part, it depends on the APIs provided by the systems. So it might be too complicated or really easy with some like REST APIs that you can get all the data from. Yeah, and there's right, a lot of industry talk about you know, APIs and microservices and stuff. So are you finding that's practical? I, I always wonder, you, you read about these, this hype and the, the questions and how many companies actually go down that path and, and use them. Are you finding them successful? Uh, I wouldn't say that, uh, well, we are not like Facebook or something. And because <laughs> of that, uh, I wouldn't say we use microservices too much. much? Yeah, we have like interfaces, some helpers or services, you can think of them like microservices, but well, it's Logically, not, right? Yeah. Logically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's not like microservices uh, architecture, okay, I would right, say, for, right, for right. us at okay, least, because okay. we are small. We're like all the projects we're doing, like even if it's like in the C-sharp solution, it's like 10, 15 projects, it's still small one, okay. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and then do you find that SPFX and React components are good at consuming these types of APIs? Do you have? Yeah, I, I believe so, especially SPFX. They do a lot of uh, job around like helpers for HTTP requests. And uh, well, there is always bottleneck with Azure uh, AD and uh, you need to kind of request all the permissions, all this stuff. But from SPFX part of things, I think it's it's really good to 
consume APIs. Right, because I, I, I don't spend a lot of time in that world, but there, there has been a HTTP helper all along, and I think they've improved it over the yes. several iterations, right? Yeah. Yes. And so you find that's easy enough to, to leverage to get the yeah. stuff you need, right? So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, do you find other SharePoint or SPFX-provided helpers like that that are useful? Yeah, so there is a, another one is a Microsoft Graph uh, client helper. Uh, again, it's like HTTP helper, but for MS Graph, so basically it's like a syntax sugar for uh, REST APIs uh, request to Microsoft Graph. Uh, this one is he uh, helpful for library component. Uh, they have uh, SP component loader class that allows you to dynamically load additional SPFX component to the page if you need them. Uh, this one is helpful for some scenarios as well. Uh, yeah, so kind of like that. Yeah, that that's, that's good. And, and then, so um, what if you could give some, some tips to our listeners, right? If I'm getting started in SPFX or I think I'm doing it well, anything, what, what paradigms or tips would you want to share to say this, is, this works for us and could be helpful? Uh, I would say that, uh, well, when you look at SPFX, especially if you are coming from C-sharp development or something, all the tools are new and you don't know what tool to like, learn right, because too many of them. I would say start with uh, TypeScript because it's a kind of new language for you. It's, it's similar to C-sharp, but still it has its own like cool stuff. And uh, so from learning perspective, go with the TypeScript first because any other tool you just need to know like few commands and you're good to go with the uh, SPFX development. Yeah, and there's a lot, I've seen several people have blogged about how there's some similarities, VS yes. Code and Visual Studio and Gulp versus MS Build and so on. But the thing that always frustrates me is is you look in package.json of a something and and there's these crazy names of things right yeah. you biscuit and whatever how do you find what these packages are or to uh, how do you find them how do you know what to, to use right if you need something you start google and you'll probably find a good <laughs> module or few modules then you can see how many times it was downloaded from npm uh, or how many stars it has on uh, github and select the one you really need. Right. And, and then do you find it easy enough to, to discover how to use it right? yeah. at some point? Yeah. Sometimes it seems like there's this magic incantation that JavaScript folks can do that Paul has trouble with to say, <laughs> how do I figure out how to make that work, right? Usually they, they have like pretty good documentation. Yeah, the popular libraries, popular modules have good, good documentation. Right, that's good. And so is there any other uh, uh, bits of wisdom that you'd want to share with our folks here before we wrap up? Um, don't be afraid. Like, SPFX is cool. Uh, SharePoint development nowadays is much better than it was back in 2007, 10, and even 13. <laughs> so it's it's nice. We are going forward with the SharePoint and Microsoft 365. I would say so. It's really nice. That, that's great. And then, how if folks want to reach out and communicate with you, how can people find you? Uh, well, in the real world and as well on social, are you? Uh, uh, they can. Go to Twitter. I'm on the Twitter as well. They can connect with me on LinkedIn if they want to. So pretty much everywhere. And uh, if they're interested, I'm uh, participating in leading uh, two PNP uh, GitHub repositories for React controls and property pane controls. So they can actually ask questions in there, and I'll probably 
answer them as well. I actually used one of those. I needed to do a, like a file asset picker, and there's yep. one that's in there as well. I, I ran into a bug, though. I should probably talk to you offline about that. Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's great. And thanks a lot for coming with and, and helping folks overcome their fear in uh, SPFX. And by other folks, I mean me, because I'm <laughs> good at it. But thanks again. Appreciate yeah, it. Thank you very much. And by the way, because Jeremy will be listening to this too, so don't afraid about MS Graph as well and use it wherever you want. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at m365devpodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks.